Uh, today we do have a special guest speaker, Pastor Gordon Woolard. Uh, yeah, let's show him a warm welcome. Pastor Gordon is a uh, international man of mystery. Um, he is literally lived in other countries and he's been around the world training pastors um, how to preach, how to be a pastor. Uh, Gordon speaks French. So the first time I met him was in West Africa. He was the translator at a conference that I was at. And little did I know that he would kind of be our link between this church and our mother church, St. Andrew's Park Road Prez. And so many of you know him, and I'm just going to ask him to come up and continue our series called Encounter, where we're looking at encountering Jesus from the book of Psalms. And today, Pastor Gordon's going to be in Psalm 34 on encountering an angel. So let's welcome him again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that they let me do the some changes in the setup for old men. Because young men can move around and use these kind of mics and stuff. And ever since a couple of weeks ago, I got back, I got some something in Africa and Zimbabwe a few weeks ago, and I was there for three weeks. And then ever since I've been home for two weeks, I've nonstop coughing. And um, so it might be some kind of bronchitis or something. And the last thing you want is for me to have a big mic right, right here. And then I can't turn my head, because if I turn my head, the mic follows me, and then out comes the cough through these nice big speakers. So this way I can duck and weave. Um, I was also impressed uh, or struck by when Ellie said that she was at a wedding yesterday afternoon. While she was at that wedding, um, I was doing a funeral service at Fred Hunter's over on Taft. And so it's interesting, the juxtaposition of of uh, what we do on Saturday afternoons, but that was a reminder for her. And actually doing a, a Christian funeral is, is a good reminder as well. There's a celebration, there's a kind of a joy that goes on there too. And it was, happened to be for a, a, a believer, an old man, who only really started to grow in his faith the last couple of years of his life. Um, and he, when he first started coming to Bible studies, on a Monday night, I mean, he would say the most off-the-wall things. He was, you just never knew. He even brought a 22 pistol one time to the Bible study, and he's showing everybody this 22 pistol. I think, put that thing away, please. You know, oh, man. Um, but, you know, gradually that guy started saying wiser and wiser things, and um, towards the end, of course, he couldn't get out much anymore because of bad health, but um, he actually was at the end of his life moving forward uh, with Jesus. So, you know, it's like, wow, okay, that can, that can happen and should be happening for all of us. I'm going to read Psalm 34. So if you'll listen to the reading of God's Word, this is, uh, we have it here as well. Um, and uh, this is the, um, what did we call the CSB? Christian Standard. Okay, Christian Standard. It's a new one for me. I had to really change my thinking. I'm used to one of these old-fashioned translations, but I'm getting hip, dude. I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting, trying to get with the program. Um, we'll see how this, how this goes. But Psalm 34: I will bless the Lord at all times; His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord; the humble will hear and be glad. 
Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You were only three months into uh, 2018, and guess what? Um, all of the troubles that we had in 2017, they managed to trudge their way into 2018, and we haven't escaped from them. Um, we bought new calendars, a lot of nice white blank spaces, and we're starting to fill them in, but um, the new calendars haven't prevented all these troubles that we've had in the past from sneaking in to 2018 with us. What I particularly find as a believer frustrating is when some fellow on a t Christian TV station will say, you are not supposed to have those troubles. When you have faith, you can speak to those troubles and you can demand that they leave you're told that you have the ability to say no to bad stuff and it will disappear. Well, and I think to myself, are we just not saying no to trouble loud enough for God to hear and to stop letting these things into our lives? Well, I want us all to just take a deep breath together and look at a better way of dealing with trouble. 
We're going to look at this Old Testament song written by a young man named David. And David never tried to stand up on his own to trouble and say, stop. It doesn't work that way. Instead, David found that God was his hiding place in times of trouble. And David invited his friends to join him in that divine hiding place. And so even this morning, thousands of years after King David, by following his example, we too can find guidance and comfort in time of trouble when we make the Lord Jesus Christ our safe space. So I want to see how David worked this out in Psalm 34. And to get the picture of Psalm 34 better, uh, you need some of the background uh, of it. It's one of the few psalms that gives us a historical uh, context for why David wrote. And if you look in uh, your Bible, it wasn't uh, part of our text here, uh, but it says that it was a psalm written after David acted like an imbecile when he was in King Abimelech's, uh, who was a Philistine, King Abimelech's house. And you say, well, how did he end up there? and why, why would he act like an imbecile? Well, these are the circumstances. David has been on the run from King Saul in Israel. Saul uh, was the rightful king, and, but David was going to eventually replace uh, Saul. <coughs> but David was not trying to kill Saul. Saul became totally paranoid and thought that David was out to get him. So he kept constantly sending soldiers to arrest and kill David. Well, David's hiding way out in the boondocks. And he gets surrounded. And in the dead of night, he sneaks out. And he thinks, I've got to find a place where no one will ever suspect I'll be. So he says, they'll never believe if I go to the Philistines, those mortal enemies of the Jews. They'll never look for me there. So he sneaks out and he goes over to this village or this town where Abimelech uh, is the king. Now there's a couple of problems with that. David is carrying with him a huge sword. And that sword actually happened to be Goliath's sword. Goliath the Philistine, Goliath the guy he killed and chopped off his head. And he comes walking into town carrying this big sword that belongs to Goliath and saying, here I am. Now that's really bound to make him very popular with the Philistines. The other problem is that even though the Jews, especially Saul and his uh, house, denied that David was going to be king, the Philistines already believed that David was the real king. They, they treated him like a kingly figure. They didn't really take Saul nearly as uh, positively or uh, as they did David. So David thinks, I'm just going to kind of come into town and they won't, they'll leave me alone. Well, he comes in with the big sword and with a big reputation. This is now no time to show off. There's one of me 
and hundreds and hundreds of them. This is not the time for bravado. This is not the time to stand up and say, you know, here I am and take me in, give me refuge. Shrewdly, David goes in the exact opposite direction. Instead of showing off and showing his bravery, as the context says in the psalm, he starts acting really crazy. He starts drooling on himself. He just starts babbling. So in the face of trouble in this Philistine town, he goes crazy. Now for some of us, when we're in trouble, that would not be an act. <laughs> for David, it was an act. And it worked because Abimelech says, I've got enough nutcases in my court as it is. I don't need another one. And so he says, David's got to be harmless, no matter what his reputation is. And he just sends him uh, out of the town and says, get out of here. Hey, go back home. Well, in the meantime, Saul has stopped looking for David because he, he, he can't imagine where he is. So David is able to sneak back in to Israel. And when he gets back to Israel, he writes this song of praise and thanksgiving. And he starts sharing it with his friends. And then it eventually makes it into the Bible. It's preserved and becomes one of the great psalms. Uh, particularly, the apostle Peter loved it and quoted it. Now, what does David do in this song as he reflects back on this whole mess that he was in? Well, he certainly doesn't pretend that it was all okay after all. Um, I just looked on the bright side. I willed myself into a good place. No, he faced up to the facts of uh, where he was, what was going to happen to him, the troubles on the outsides, and his anxieties on the inside. And so in the psalm, he, he just confesses that he was a mass of fears. He says, I was really just a poor wreck of a guy who cried out to God in my helplessness. He uses terms speaking... And David often did this, spoke of himself as the representative Jew. What I'm going through is kind of pictures what the Jewish people are going through. And so he says um, in, uh, in verse 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's where David was at. His spirit crushed, his heart broken. Why? Because King Saul is, thinks I'm a murderer out to get him. His, Saul's son, Jonathan, was David's best friend. But his father refuses to allow him, uh, Jonathan, to see uh, David. And then he even thinks that Jonathan uh, has now partnered with David to overthrow uh, his monarchy. And so there's just... And then you got the whole Philistine thing going on. And the poor guy is just crushed and broken. But he doesn't say to God, oh, but my faith doesn't allow me to go there. No, in his faith, he does go there. And he says, even in verse 19, the one who is righteous has many adversities. 
I love this honesty of David. I love the honesty of the Psalms and of Scripture. And I also love David's willingness to share his source of relief. You know, he's not selfish about this newfound peace uh, that you don't have to subscribe to his blog site to, to get it. You don't have to subscribe to his magazine. You don't have to buy his book to get it. Uh, he's going to give it away for free because it came to him for free, and he's going to give it to, for free. Um, he, he invites his friends to join in and find the same relief that he found. So what does he do in, this, in the face of this stampede of, of troubles? Well, he, he says he cries out to his Lord. And you'll notice in verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 6, again and again and again, you'll notice that the word Lord is all in capitals. Whoops, that font doesn't show it. That font just killed my whole sermon. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, you can't really say. It. Anyway, trust me on this, folks. All right. In a lot of the English translations, L O R D is all in capital letters, and you may have seen that in your Bible as well. And the reason uh, they put it all in capital letters is to reflect the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah, as it's often transliterated. And that L O R D is the intimate, special, personal name that God gave to his uh, Jewish children. And so it's God's chosen name, self-chosen name for God's chosen people. It's the way they got really personal with God. And when you're in real trouble, you get really personal with a personal God. You know, when you're in a deep mess, that is no time for vague prayers to a vague spirit. Oh, whatever might be out there, come and sort of sort this out for me however you sort of want to. I mean, you're going to get plenty of that in magazines and, and on in radio and television and so forth. No. When you're deep in it, you want a personal God with personal prayer to come and personally meet you where you're at. But now, being on close terms with God, intimate terms with God, doesn't mean that you just have a casual chat with Him. Because repeatedly, David says in this psalm that his desperate but his respectful calling out to God, he calls it fear. He invites us to fear the Lord with him. Now we need to unpack that word fear a little bit. Because in this psalm, David says in verse 4, I have fears... And he also keeps saying, I have fear. And he invites us to join him in his fear. Now, what is the difference between fears and fear? Well, fears are all the mess of life. Fears are what, 
was racking David's heart and his mind. Fears are what rack us. We're just worried about so, so many things. The anxieties that wake us up in the middle of the night. And thankfully, it hasn't been often. It's been thankfully very rare. But I've had a couple of panic attacks I've, where I've woken up out of a scary dream and felt just undifferentiated fear where I couldn't lay in bed but I couldn't go downstairs. Everywhere I went, as soon as I stopped, it all sort of caught up with me. And you just, at that moment though, when you cry out to God, you cry out to Jesus and say, I, I'm just a mass of fears. But what is fear? Well, fear is David's reverent belief that the awesome creator and ruler of the universe is also his God and that his God is right there with him in his fears. Now, my friends, we all have fears. But do we all have fear? Not everyone has fear. Not everyone has this reverent, deep sense that this awesome God, L-O-R-D, this gives me his intimate name and by that name I can call out to him now within this psalm I hope you'll notice too that um, fear this reverent belief reverent awe before God goes by several other names it's not just one dimensional and we don't have time to look at all of them in detail but but he'll you see he says taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, I sought the Lord. I take refuge. I cry out. I am looking for him. All of that is packaged into fear. Fear says, I so respect God that I will go to no other power and I'll lean on no other crutch but my God. So I want to recap, just before I move on, recap what we've discovered from this psalm so far in how David dealt with fears and trouble. We've seen that he was, first of all, extremely honest about what was going on in his life. Uh, we saw that he turned to God using God's intimate, personal name. We saw that he comes in fear before this God, knowing that there is no other power in the universe that can help him. Now that's all great. That's coming from David's side. But why would God bother with David? Why would David even think that God would care enough to help one lonely guy out of his mess? Why would God bother about you? Why would God bother about me? Well, it's because God, a thousand years before David was even born, God had made a promise to the elders, 
to the ancestor, David's ancestors, going right back to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And God had promised them, giving them this L-O-R-D name, giving them the, the personal intimate name. He said, Abraham, I want you to know me and call on me by this name because I promise I am going to make you a great family and I'm going to come and I'm through you. I am going to bless the entire world through your family. And I am so personally committed that not only for your generation and Isaac's and Jacob's, <coughs> but for a hundred generations, I'm going to be there for your children. I am going to be their L-O-R-D. I'm going to give your children and their children and their children for thousands of years. I'm going to give them my personal intimate name. And in that personal intimate name, they're going to call on me. And I'm going to come and be so close to you. In fact, here's what I'm going to do for you, Abraham, and, and your descendants. I am going to come personally and be with you. And I'm going to do it through the angel of the Lord. Now, who is this angel of the Lord? Well, he is actually none other than the Son of God who became the man Jesus Christ. But the Son of God shows up a lot in the Old Testament. People think that, no, it's only L-O-R-D, Jehovah, there's the one God, but there's no Trinity in the Old Testament. The Trinity was some New Testament invention. Brothers and sisters, God is always eternally the Trinity, and the Son of God was in the Old Testament right there with the Jewish people. And he calls himself, when he shows up, he calls himself the angel of the Lord. And in our text, in verse 7, it says, This angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. Now, the problem for me with this metaphor, this picture of encamping, is that I'm not a camper. I used to be a camper. When I was a Boy Scout, I was a camper. Then I switched to the Sea Scouts, and instead of camping, we had a ship. I, I like that a lot better. Um, and the problem is, too, that once I got married, and Marilyn won't mind me saying this, she would say it to you herself, she is no camper. Okay, we got... We've never been camping. We've never been in a tent. We've never slept in sleeping bags. We never built a campfire. So in camping, you know, it's like, well, okay, if you're in the Old Testament, if you're a Jew and a nomad and, and you're setting up camps, and I work with Native American uh, Indians a lot, and so, you know, they're, they encamp. Well, but what does that encamping look like? What's, what's the picture? Well, here's the angel who comes down, and there's the camp. There are the people filled with anxieties and fears. And so what does the angel do? He encamps. He, he goes like this around their camp, doesn't he? Now, wait a Okay, well, I don't get the camping image, but I certainly get this. What is he doing? 
he's just hugging me. Jesus is just putting his arms around me and saying, I'm going to give you the divine hug. I'm just going to hold it. And don't we all just, when you're in trouble and when you're sad and when you're down, you just want that person, brother, sister, husband, wife, child, you just want that touch. You want somebody to take you in their arms and hug you and hold you close uh, to them. And that is what the angel is doing. He's giving us the divine hug. Now I said this angel of the Lord is the Son of God. And, and just to give you a little sampling of what he does in the Old Testament. Did you know that it was the angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses in the burning bush? We, we read that too quickly and um, forget that and we think it's God the Father that's speaking to Moses. It was Jesus that was speaking to Moses. Just telling him to take his shoes off. And then it's the Son of God who shows up to Joshua. And Joshua's outside the walls of Jericho thinking, Man, how in the world am I going to get past this big city? And then the Son of God shows up in full military regalia and says, Here I am, the commander of the Lord's army. And... Joshua says, what do I do? And he says, take your shoes off. I told Moses to take his shoes off. I'm telling you, you take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Um, when they're out in the wilderness, this column of fire that appeared at night to show them how to, where to go, and in the daytime, the column of smoke to show them where to go, the Bible says that was the angel of the Lord taking different forms. He didn't always have to show up as a human being. As a spirit, the Son of God could take on these different symbolic images, but his point was always the same. His mission is to always surround God's hurting children with love and grace and direction. It's the angel of the Lord who shows God's little ones that no matter how awful things are in life, that the Lord is good when life is bad. We have in the United States, um, in our many of our cars, you know, you look on the, on the side mirrors, uh, the, not the main one, the rear view, but on the side mirrors, it'll say, objects are closer than they appear. My favorite, one of my favorite uh, Gary Larson far side ones with objects are closer and there's a big bloodshot eyeball of a monster right there too. It's like, you know, like, ah, you know. But you know, it's also true for God. He is a lot closer than it may appear. It can seem, you look in the mirror and you say, oh Lord, you're so, so far back there and I'm all out here on my own. And the Lord says, oh, I'm right there with you. I've never left you. Well, what became of this angel of the Lord? Well, of course, just a couple of months ago, we celebrated Christmas. It was the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, who became a man to rescue us from our worst troubles. Not taxes, not relationships, not money, not health. Our worst trouble is the divine wrath against sin. 
Everything else we face in life is small stuff compared to the trouble of facing God's judgment alone. And this is what gets me about our society in the, and Western societies. A volcano is erupting around us and people are worried about the cost of their cable bundle. Oh, they raise my rates and here comes the lava and I'm just all taken up with first world problems. You see, the Lord says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Evil brings death to the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, faced our condemnation on the cross. In our place, we sing, he stood. So that son of God, the angel, when he comes to encamp around us to give us the divine hug, it's also to protect us from the divine judgment. And the wrath of God falls on him, and we're protected by his hug. And we know that Jesus was victorious. And this psalm even says it. And it says it in a strange sort of way, but this is, the Bible is a strange book. It says, when this is, proves the victory of Jesus, the victory of the angel of the Lord. He protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. I say, wow, where does, where does that come from? What am I supposed to make of that uh, verse 20? St. John, the apostle, the follower of Jesus, saw that as a prophecy. Said, a prophecy? There's nothing prophetic about what, what is that supposed to mean? But St. John, when he saw the body of Jesus die on the cross, he saw the soldiers come up ready to break the bones, the legs of Jesus, so that he couldn't breathe anymore. He would collapse. His lungs would fill up with liquid and he would die. And that's what they did to the other two guys. They wanted speedy deaths. Normally they would let people linger for days before they would die. But they wanted, because it was going to be a religious holiday, uh, they wanted to quickly kill off these three guys. So they kill off the first two. But when they get to Jesus, they see that he's already dead. They see, and John looks and he says, Wow, my Lord has died. And now they're going to add this ignominy. They're going to add this disgrace because they're going to break my Lord's legs. But then they don't. They stab his side, but out comes the blood and water to show that, that he uh, had truly died. And so they leave his body, his skeleton, intact. And then all of a sudden, John goes, Whoa! David said that was going to happen. David said that my Lord is going to die for me. And David said the angel of the Lord is going to encamp around me. And David said that all my troubles are going to be taken away by my angel. And this is what my angel did. He gave his life for me, but his body went into the ground intact. He was not shamed. 
He was not disgraced by the Father. The Father says, I have accepted your sacrifice. I will leave your body alone. And I will put you in the grave intact. And I will raise you up out of the grave intact. In a glorious body. And for John and the apostles and for all believers, when we see the unbroken body of Jesus, we know we have an unbroken relationship to God. Jesus goes in the ground intact. Jesus goes, comes back to life intact. Jesus now goes into heaven intact. And so therefore, Jesus in his death and resurrection gives you an unbroken relationship with God. The troubles can and will mount up, but God's love for you in Jesus through the angel is a far bigger mountain of love. His care smothers our cares. David says this is great for me as an individual, but he says it's great for all of us as a community. And you see how quickly he moves from, I will bless the Lord, I will boast, to verse 3, let us exalt. Because this is what we experience together as a community, isn't it? We don't just let, I don't just ever say to another believer, well, you go try to sort your problems out with the Lord. I've got my own stuff. I'm going to sort that out with the Lord. No, we do this together in community. And I've said that Peter loved this psalm, and he quotes it. And when Peter, in his letter, the first letter, quotes this psalm, he shifts the emphasis from what David originally wrote, which is, um, who is someone who desires life? He shifts it and says, we all, we desire this life together. And so we, so in our belief, we see that our life, our walk with, with God is changed as a community. And I'm never going to let you guys suffer on your own, and I never want you to let me suffer on my own. We're going to walk through this together. And part of that walking together and so crucial in community is because, you know, where do a lot of troubles come from? our own making. Yeah, we can get, we can have troubles from the outside, absolutely. But we create a lot of mess for ourselves. But you know, when we're in community, the Lord helps us to point those things out to each other through counseling, encouragement, prayer, singing, all of these things. And so Peter picks up on this wonderful idea of someone who desires life to a community, a church that desires life. So we ask the Lord to deliver us from trouble, yes, but we ask the Lord also very practically to change the circumstances that get us into so much trouble in the first place. So as we conclude, I, I just want you to, us all to honor um, the angel of the Lord together. I want us to celebrate his great name, his L-O-R-D name, intimate name. Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit's been working in them. Um, that's what a Christian community can do. So New City Fellowship will keep having new problems through the year. I wish I could say otherwise. 
But that's because we are human beings. But at the same time, New City Fellowship is going to keep seeing great acts of delivery through Jesus, the angel of the Lord. You know, he, Jesus is hugging this congregation. And Jesus is encamping around this lovely building that we have. And so let's keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good all the time. Jesus Christ, two weeks ago we learned, Jesus Christ is our unbroken King. And last week we learned that Jesus is our unbroken Good Shepherd. He is intact in heaven. And He's working on the blueprint of His new creation. Jesus is going to mend everything that is broken in us. And so with David, let's hide ourselves in this angel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, would you surround us now with your loving arms. Fill each and every one of us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to learn how we can walk with each other in all of our troubles and in all of our triumphs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank Gordon. So thankful, you know, through this series, just to be able to see Jesus in a new light, in a deeper way, to learn more about who he is, and just to get that picture today of him as the angel of the Lord encamping around us. The worship team is going to lead us again, and one thing remains, and that one thing that remains is God's love for his people. And so I want to invite you to stand, but even as you stand, what is it in your life that is closer than it appears? What is it that thing, as Gordon said, what is that thing in your rearview mirror that, man, it is daunting, it is scary. Even as you sing this song, I want you to hit a reset in your mind and go, the Lord is even nearer than that thing. Sing out to him, the one who is faithful now.